on January 6th, did you speak with him before, during, or after the Capitol was attacked? Uh, I'd have to go. I, 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 I spoke with him that day after, I think after. I don't know if I spoke with him in the morning or not. I, I just don't know. Uh, I'd have to go back. And, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know uh, that when, when those conversations happened. Uh-huh. Don't worry, Jim Jordan. We'll check the White House phone logs. What? They're missing seven and a half well, hours? I don't know I tonight. That's bad. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the Internet. It's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites except for Spotify, Blanketing, Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, Troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Philadelphia Inquirer's Will Bunch will join us momentarily to discuss a whole bunch, if you will, (laughs) of accountability issues. Now coming in sort of fast and furiously in various ways, including news breaking on Tuesday morning from The Washington Post, Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, that the House Select Committee examining Donald Trump's January 6, 2021 attempt to steal the 2020 election has discovered a 457-minute gap. That is seven hours and 27 minutes. So he beats Nixon. Uh, In the White House phone logs from January 6th, from 11.17 a.m. that morning until 6.54 p.m. that night. You realize how many times Jim Jordan could have called the White House or vice versa (laughs) during all of those hours? In other words, during pretty much the entirety of the U.S. Capitol insurrection coup attempt, there are zero records of calls made to or from the White House, even though we know, thanks to evidence gathered separately by the House committee, that there were numerous calls made to and from Donald Trump that day during those hours in which the official White House call logs show no calls at all. That's crazy. 
Uh, but it was uh, last week's news about the New York criminal investigation of massive financial fraud by Donald Trump, followed by the news of Jenny Thomas, uh, the right wing activist wife of right wing activist Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, that seems to have our friend Will Bunch in a bit of a, a funk uh, regarding the lack, the lack of accountability for clearly corrupt but high-profile wrongdoers in this country. We will talk to him about that and much more momentarily. First, uh, some very quick news headlines for you. Uh, As we warned some weeks ago on this program, now is a great time to get a booster shot if you haven't already for COVID-19 as we're in a lull before a potential new surge of the even more transmissible Omicron subvariant known as BA2. As new data from the CDC makes clear that, quote, BA2 is now the dominant strain of COVID-19 in the U.S., causing an estimated 54.9 percent of all COVID-19 infections last week. The hardest hit regions for now continues to be the Northeast, where BA2 is causing more than 70 percent of all cases. The South and Mountain West are currently seeing the fewest cases in the U.S. But that's a pattern that we've seen before. uh, That's right. That sort of moves over from the Northeast to everywhere else. Uh, BA2 is currently causing slightly more than one third of the infections in those regions. But given the the fact that BA2 is more contagious than the original Omicron variant, again, a booster shot provides the best immunity from a severe case and from hospitalization for a disease that is still causing nearly 1,000 deaths per day here in the U.S., and we have not yet begun to see a, uh, a notable surge, at least not yet, from BA2. Uh, with that in mind, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has expanded the authorization for the uh, Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines to allow adults 50 years of age and older to get a second booster. Really? Yeah, really. Uh, as uh, as early as four months after the first booster dose of any COVID vaccine, the move extends the availability of additional boosters to healthy older adults. The FDA had previously allowed additional shots for anyone 12 or older who was severely immune deficient. The CDC updated its vaccine pages to reflect The FDA has expanded eligibility, noting, quote, current evidence suggests some waning of protection over time against serious outcomes from COVID-19 in older and immunocompromised individuals. Based on an analysis of emerging data, a second booster dose of either the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine could help increase protection levels for these higher risk individuals. Additionally, said Dr. Peter Marks of the FDA in a news release, the data show that an initial booster dose is critical. That's the initial booster dose critical in helping to protect all adults from the potentially severe outcomes of COVID-19. So those who have not received their initial booster, he says, are strongly encouraged to do so. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky said in the statement, quote, this is especially important for those 65 and older and those 50 and older. 
with underlying medical conditions that increase their risk for severe disease from COVID as they are the most likely to benefit from receiving an additional booster at this time. In other news, following up on our coverage and our conversation about Will Smith's Oscar night assault of comedian Chris Rock on Sunday night, in case in case you hadn't heard about that news, <laughs> uh, shortly after we got off air, Will Smith finally issued an apology to Rock about 24 hours after smacking him on live TV for a joke that Rock told about Smith's actress wife before going on to win Best Actor Award. Uh, and to offer a lengthy and teary acceptance speech in which he appeared to defend his violent actions and otherwise apologize, otherwise apologize to the Academy, but not to Chris Rock. Well, last night, Smith finally apologized to Rock via Instagram, writing, quote, violence in all of its forms is poisonous and destructive. My behavior at last night's Academy Awards was unacceptable and inexcusable. Jokes at my expense are a part of the job. But a joke about Jada's medical condition was too much for me to bear, and I reacted emotionally. He said, I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris. I was out of line, and I was wrong. I'm embarrassed, and my actions were not indicative of the man I want to be. There is no place for violence in a world of love and kindness. He went on to apologize again to the Academy and to those who worked on his uh, King Richard film, he said, I deeply regret that my behavior has stained what has been an otherwise gorgeous journey for all of us. I am a work in progress, he said. Feel better, Desi Doyne? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, listen, I, I don't think it's an easy thing that we have all witnessed here. And it has lots of different factors and, uh, and, and facets to it. So I'm glad that he finally apologized. And I hope that he gets some assistance for the issues that he is clearly having right now. Some and rage? Just, some uh, rage issues? Well, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's on a human level. I, I, I feel for him. I feel for all the people in the room. I feel for everybody uh, affected. I hope that this leads to healing and understanding. Well, now, one of the reasons that I actually, uh, you know, enjoyed having that conversation with listeners uh, is because it was a scandal, you know, with a bunch of implications about race, about male, to male toxicity and, and abuse, about accountability. Uh, you know, would any other black man who smacked someone like that have been let off the hook? I think almost certainly the answer is no, as was some guy uh, once famously said, when you're a celebrity, they let you do it. Hmm. But not all celebrities. But in this case, the well-liked Will Smith was able to get away with it. Would he have done the same thing? Would he have if, if a woman, as I mentioned, some of this, uh, some of these questions on our previous show, would Will have slapped a woman who offered the very same joke? I would say, of course not. Yeah. Would he have slapped a white comedian who said the same thing? I actually, what do you think? I don't know. I don't think that he would have, which I didn't say it explicitly on the show, but I think that makes Will Smith a little bit racist, actually, <laughs> ironically enough. If Smith had slapped a white comedian, would he have been allowed to stay inside the Dolby Theater mm, after smacking that, him? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think so, which, by the way, makes the Academy a bit racist. <laughs> Uh, though that's not entirely surprising. And by the way, I meant to say it yesterday. I got thrown off uh, when we had our usual phone problems. But kudos to Chris Rock for manning up by not responding in kind to Smith's assault. That made a huge difference.
But, you know, I think I also enjoyed the conversation because it was a controversy for a happy change that did not include things like war and, you know, nuclear weapons and the rise of fascism and the undermining of the U.S. Constitution and, you know, the fate of the planet was not at stake all for a happy change. So, yeah, you know, an old-fashioned scandal controversy that didn't mean the end of the world. But it did tell us something about accountability in America in 2022, or lack thereof. Well, in any event, the fun is over. Desi Toyin uh, is back today with another one of her Green News reports later on. And joining us next is our friend Will Bunch, who's in a bit of a funk over the lack of accountability for so much that continues to bedevil our country and, yes, undermine American democracy itself. See, told you the fun was over. The Philly Inquirer's Will Bunch and his funk are straight ahead as we continue to fight our way peacefully out of it. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. One, two, three, four. Get up, get on up. Get up, get on up. There you go. Get up, a a get bit of up. funk in honor of my guest standing by as uh, he writes that he's in a bit of a funk over accountability issues. An accountability funk, if you will, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, in one sense, news about accountability uh, in some fashion. Uh, for Donald Trump, his wildly corrupt business practices, his wildly corrupt administration, his wildly corrupt attempt to steal the 2020 election and the wildly corrupt Republican Party, which continues to support him in all of the above. In one sense, that news is coming in faster than we can keep up with. Last week, for example, on Wednesday, there was a bit of a blockbuster out of New York that we didn't even have time to report on on our daily program, which is often a catalog of these sorts of stories. As the New York Times broke their scoop that day, one of the senior Manhattan prosecutors who investigated Donald Trump believed that the former president was, quote, guilty of numerous fel felony violations and that it was, quote, a grave failure of justice not to hold him accountable. That prosecutor, Mark Pomerantz, submitted those remarks in his resignation letter last month after the new Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, abruptly stopped pursuing the years-long investigation and pending indictment of Trump on bank insurance and tax fraud charges. Pomerantz, a prominent former prosecutor and white-collar defense lawyer who came out of retirement to work on the Trump investigation, resigned on the same day as Carrie Dunn, another senior prosecutor leading the inquiry in protest of Bragg's decision to not, at least not yet, bring criminal felony charges against Donald Trump, 
as the prosecutors had pursued under Manhattan's previous district attorney, Cyrus Vance Jr., who was replaced at the beginning of the year by Alvin Bragg. Bragg's decision was, quote, contrary to the public interest, Pomerantz wrote, noting, quote, the team that has been investigating Mr. Trump harbors no doubt about whether he committed crimes. He did, wrote Pomerantz. Now, Bragg's office claims the investigation is ongoing and that charges could still be brought if additional evidence comes to light. But it was a pretty big blow for those of us long awaiting to see accountability for hands down the most corrupt president to ever occupy the Oval Office. One reason we failed to report on that story was because it was superseded before airtime the next day by yet another arguably more explosive story. On Thursday, the news broke that the wildly corrupt longtime right-wing activist Ginny Thomas, wife of the wildly corrupt Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, had shared dozens of text messages after the election in November 2020 with Donald Trump's then White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, urging him and the Trump administration to keep fighting to steal the election from Joe Biden in pretty much any way possible. Her argument was based on one conspiracy theory after another, arguing the Democrats were pulling off, quote, the greatest heist in our history. Of course, the text messages, more than 20 of them, signaled to the White House that they almost assuredly had a friend on the U.S. Supreme Court who would support that effort. Indeed, Clarence consistently voted in favor of challenges to the 2020 election that were brought to the Supreme Court by Trump and his supporters. Happily, Justice Thomas was always in the minority, including that time when Clarence Thomas was the only justice on the Republicans' packed and stolen Supreme Court, willing to block the National Archives from turning over subpoenaed records from the Trump White House to the U.S. House Select Committee investigating the Trump-incited insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Records that... For all anybody knew at the time, perhaps most directly, Clarence Thomas might have actually included messages from Ginny Thomas herself, encouraging the attempt to steal an election by overthrowing the U.S. Constitution and the American government itself in order to steal a second term for Donald Trump, as noted, wildly corrupt all around. Though, in truth... Just one more case of runaway corruption among the increasingly lawless and authoritarian Republican Party. The news, as it broke last week from Watergate reporter Bob Woodward and Robert Costa at Washington Post and CBS News, sent our friend and longtime Philadelphia Inquirer columnist Will Bunch into a bit of a funk, an accountability funk, if you will. He tweeted in response to that latest bit of news, well, latest at the time, on unbridled Republican corruption, quote, he said, I mean, this Ginny Thomas stuff looks really bad, but is anybody going to do anything about it or about anything? If they won't do anything about the multiple felonies of Donald Trump, why would they do anything about Ginny or Clarence ruling on January 6th related cases? I am in a total funk, wrote Bunch, writing in his column over the weekend about the, quote, giant legitimacy problem at the Supreme Court. 
Bunch noted there seems to be no way, no way or no will to hold our staggeringly corrupt leaders accountable, whether it's Trump defrauding the banks or plotting an attempted coup from the Oval Office or a Supreme Court justice ruling on his wife's bat guano crazy political crusade. And there's seemingly no way to stop the crazy like QAnon from getting crazier. He said, I'm in a total funk over the State of the Union, and when I wrote that on Twitter, hundreds of people agreed with me. Well, in fact, thousands uh, at last check, more than 25,000 actually agreed with Will by liking his post on Twitter. Many of us, of course, share the feeling, but then there are those excommunicated Republicans who might offer some clues for Democrats and others who'd like to push back on this madness. In a Twitter thread in response to the Ginny Thomas news, longtime GOP activist turned Lincoln Project anti-Trumper Rick Wilson wrote, quote, imagine for a moment what the Republicans would say if the spouse of a Supreme Court justice nominated by a Democrat joined in a conspiracy to overthrow a free and fair American election. Imagine she or he was part of a conspiracy to launch a violent shock and awe attack on the Capitol in its furtherance, an attack that led to lives lost, our Capitol desecrated. Imagine their response as she was discovered in the days leading up to the attack to be texting and emailing a Democratic White House chief of staff, encouraging him to illegally overturn the election and promote lurid conspiracy nonsense. Imagine she promoted the idea Republicans were, quote, being arrested and detained for ballot fraud right now in overcoming days and will be living in barges off Gitmo to face military tribunals for sedition just as Ginny Thomas texted to Mark Meadows. Now imagine her husband was the sole vote to protect the losing president from scrutiny. I'll tell you what they would do. They would burn Washington to the damn ground, writes Rick Wilson. Republicans would salt the earth. They would call for sanctions, impeachment, removal. Their powerful media apparatus would turn it into a 24-7 scandal that would never, ever disappear. Facebook would amplify and monetize a million pages calling for the removal of said justice. They'd hold hearings and drag every person involved before them in a televised great spectacle. It would become a centerpiece of their messaging for ages. It would be a drumbeat about the corruption of the opposing party. It would motivate no end of earnest op-eds from the gentry media. The GOP silence now is telling tweets Rick Wilson, they've become masters at working the media refs. This isn't a trivial little scandal, he says. It's real, it stinks, and it's outrageous. Sure. But what is anybody going to do about it? I should say, what are Democrats going to do about it? Joining us now, perhaps still in his accountability funk, is our old friend Will Bunch of Philadelphia Inquirer. Oh, Mr. Bunch, Welcome back, my friend, to the show that never ends. Oh my gosh, where where do we start, Brad? I, I have mean, I, <laughs> I have no idea. I, well, actually, let's start here. Uh, we've had a bit of good news over the past twenty four hours in that yes. uh, a, a federal judge in California overseeing uh, the attempt by one of Trump's right wing attorneys, Michael Eastman, to withhold documents from the January sixth committee ruled that Eastman. 
the guy who was behind the plot to uh, have Vice President Mike Pence simply refuse to certify Biden's uh, victory, the, uh, Eastman and Trump himself, quote, more likely than not, said the judge, committed multiple felonies in trying to steal the 2020 election. So are you too patient, impatient, Will, in waiting for the accountability uh, like many yourself, including me, one, or, or are you still in that funk? Somewhere in between, I guess. Um, I mean, I mean that ruling that you decided yesterday by this um, Judge Carter mm-hmm. out west um, uh, was really amazing. Included, it had it had this great great phrase where he um, he said what was going on was a he called it a coup in search of a legal theory. Yes, which uh, it, as a writer, I was like so jealous. I go, oh, boy, I wish I had thought of that phrase because <laughs> that that is like so that is like so perfect. Yeah, and you know, to me, to me, we've we've been seeing this pattern really, I guess, since the start of this year, where you have a group of, um, you know, you have judges, mm-hmm. you have some prosecutors, I guess, but and you have members of, of Congress. You know, I've been very impressed with the uh, House January 6th committee, both in the way they do their work and just, you know, some of the some of the some of the leadership, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Benny Thompson and and uh, uh, in, in some of the others, and um, Liz Cheney. Uh, I know you don't want to say Liz Cheney. Yeah. You don't want to support no, Liz Cheney. No, no, I understand. I was going to. I was going <laughs> to put in a plug for Jamie Raskin, okay. who, uh, who uh, you know is, has become a national hero, right? Yep. So, so, um, and so every it seems like every week or two you have something comes out where, and, and you mentioned some of this in your in your introduction, but um, the January sixth committee in that same Eastman case filed uh, a brief saying that Trump had committed multiple felonies. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this judge saying that uh, uh, he believes Trump has committed multiple felonies. Uh, like he said, you have the senior prosecutor who resigned, but unfortunately not the actual district attorney in Manhattan, mm-hmm. saying that their investigation of Trump's finances also separately found, you know, multiple felonies mm-hmm. again and again. So you so you have all these people. Uh, last night, the... Um, that that House January 6th committee had a hearing about um, uh, issuing two new contempt citations for, um, um, you know, uh, some, some more people in Trump's inner circle. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, anyway, one of the uh, one of the members of that committee basically came out and said, you know, Merrick Garland, do your job. So we have this situation where there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people in the body politic are saying, look, the evidence is overwhelming that the uh, 45th president of the United States was a criminal, and yet this hand, the handful of people who are actually in the most key positions for possibly doing something about it, uh, especially Merrick Garland, but mm-hmm. we also saw in Manhattan with this Alvin Bragg won't don't won't go there apparently. Now, we, now we don't know we don't know for sure about Merrick Garland. You know, there are are some people out there in the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, Marcy Wheeler who's got a big following. People yeah. say, no, look, they're they're building their case. You can see the you know, you can read the tea leaves in some of these lower cases, but I, I'm just not seeing it. I mean, there's a lot of other, you know, I'm not a huge fan of access journalism, but there are connected D.C. journalists saying, look, you know, if 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 there was a grand jury that was investigating Trump and, and these other top-level people, you'd be seeing things happening that we don't see happening. Well, let me ask uh, you, you know... That's very concerning yeah. Yeah. Well, I. I mean, I. I say, are you too patient? I'm glad you cited Marcy. Uh, Marcy Wheeler, because she has been saying that yes, this is the way it should be proceeding. Sort of 
uh, <clears throat> from the bottom up. She reads, I think, uh, probably closer than anybody in America, each of the cases that are being filed, yeah. you know, against Absolutely. everyone. And and so I do take some comfort from from her. Um, but, you know, you, uh, Will, are a bit of a, um, uh, a connoisseur of Watergate. Uh, and actually, we have some Watergate-ish related news I want to ask you about in a moment. But, you know, Watergate, uh, it was several years after that happened before, uh, you know, there was even talk of, of uh, Nixon, uh, Nixon impeachment. He eventually resigned. Um, d- does this stuff just take longer than any of us can stand at this point? Or is there a real uh, accountability uh, problem here? You know, I mean, that's a great question, and you know, and and for for all the similarities similarities between Watergate and and the investigations that are going on now, and I've written about this frequently, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of similarities. But you know, there there are also some big differences uh, uh, in a lot of ways. I think I think the Watergate investigation took a lot of time because they had to get certain evidence. You know, people people didn't believe that Nixon, that the president. Uh, could possibly have taken part in a criminal cover-up, and it took them two years to get the tapes that finally proved it. And um, that, that's not really true in Trump's case. We know, you know, we, we seem to know mm-hmm. the basics of what he did. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw him speak at a rally telling people to go to go march on the Capitol, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, but I, I, do, I do think, and I've said this before, I mean, there's a process going on, and the January 6th committee has been compiling a lot of evidence. And I think the thinking, there's a theory that when they finally hold their public hearings, which, of course, like everything else in this, keep getting pushed back, and, you know, maybe they're going to be in May now. But, when, you know, when they have primetime public hearings that are on the scale of the Watergate hearings in 1973 and, mm-hmm. and, and 74, that uh, what they'll be doing is building public support and demand where, the Justice Department can't, you know, can't ignore mm-hmm. uh, the evidence that'll be presented to the public, and they'll move public opinion. Which, of course, we know how hard it is to move public opinion in in twenty twenty two. But um, I, I mean, that's a theory. But the bottom line is, you know, people felt Trump's actions were criminal, you know, before the day was over on January sixth. You know, yeah. um, uh, uh, I mean, that's why I mean, he was impeached by the House one week after January sixth. So, so we knew the basics then. So, so given that, you know, what exactly has the Justice Department been doing for fourteen and a half months? Um, I don't know. It seems, again, you know, if if, if Marcy were here, she would rip into me for saying that. But um, <laughs> yes, she would. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, absolutely. But I guess uh, I, I'm speaking more as the voice of the average person who who's not reading every document yeah. uh, and just just kind of going on common sense and like common sense is just telling me that you know give, given what's at stake this is taking too long because well, you know i mean i mean and look i mean just real quickly i mean while this hangs out there you know you've got all these state legislatures enacting laws to uh make it possible to, to pull off a coup in 2024 you know and maybe putting these guys on trial and, and sending a few of them off 
and if you them up the river, maybe that would uh, kind of change the dynamic a little bit in the country. Uh, I don't, I don't know. But. Yeah, no, I know. Well, I, I, I know. I think you're right. Absolutely right. I mean, I think one of the reasons we're in the problem we're in is because of the lack of accountability after the last Republican administration, which was never held accountable for anything, including war crimes and unbelievable corruption that many thought you know would never be surpassed by, for example, Liz Cheney's father. Never dreaming that uh, that sort of corruption will be blown away by the next Republican administration to take office, uh, Donald Trump's. But your column, uh, Will Bunch, uh, that I had referenced uh, in the intro there was was focused uh, largely on what you characterize as a legitimacy crisis at the Supreme Court. And let's focus on that for a moment. What, what are your fears there before we talk about what, if anything, can be done to reverse uh, this trend, perhaps beginning with the account of, with accountability for the wildly corrupt Clarence Thomas. Well, you know, one of the one of the reasons I wrote that column, one of the points I was trying to make. I mean, I wanted to highlight the, the Clarence Thomas and, and uh, case matter, and the and, you know Ginny Thomas text and, and Clarence Thomas's failure to recuse himself on these January sixth cases because it's so outrageous. So, if you haven't been following that, I wanted to spotlight that. But mm-hmm. I also I also wanted to put it in. In a broader context, which is, you know, I mean, public public support or public trust or faith, whatever you want to call it, in the Supreme Court had already hit an all-time low even before all of this came out. And there's just this general mm-hmm. sense that the Supreme Court right now is making political decisions rather rather than decisions based on the law. Mm-hmm. And uh, why why would people not think that? Because we know we know how these judges are selected. We've seen. What a political power grab that became, you know, mm-hmm. with with Mitch McConnell stealing uh, a pick away from Barack Obama, um, you know, with Amy Coney Barrett being rushed onto the court in a matter of days, mm-hmm. uh, practically, and um, so so people had this suspicion that the court was going to be more political, and we're starting to see the fruits of that. You know, I think I think for a lot of people who don't. I mean, most people don't follow the day ins and, and day outs of every case that's before the court, but a lot of people know that the court is on the brink of, of possibly overturning or at least gutting uh, Roe versus Wade and, mm-hmm. and, and taking away people's reproductive rights, and that's a huge issue for a lot of voters. And I mean, there's always this sense that, you know, the court, to keep its legitimacy, it tries to balance the, you know, what's legal and what's in the law with, but, you know, public public sentiment and things like that are also taken into account, right, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on, on some level. And we know that 72% of the public doesn't want Roe versus Wade overturned. Um, mm-hmm. And yet here they are about to overturn it. And people are starting to learn more and more about this so-called shadow docket, which is a system of using emergency orders, which bypass all of the things that we have tended to revere about the Supreme Court. You know, they're their arguments and the, the questioning and and then the deliberations that go on for months, you know, and instead you get these emergency orders that are issued in the dead of night, and you don't know who voted, and there may be opinions that there may not be, and, and uh, well, um, you know, and, and, and coincidentally, these decisions on things like gerrymandering and stuff like that, they tend to be pretty political decisions, and they tend they tend to favor the the, the uh, political right. So the, the, you know, and and I hear about that. You know, the co- concerns about the legitimacy for the court. You know, I got to tell you, uh, obviously, we know what Mitch McConnell did under Trump, and uh, uh, you know, stealing the majority there. But 
Clarence Taunt, you go back to 1991, and I, I keep trying to make this point because people don't seem to hear it. 1991, Clarence Thomas, you remember his very controversial uh, hearings uh, to get on the court. I was around. Yeah, yes, I remember. I, I, I know you were. Uh, it, well, at the time, what you may or may not know was that the PR campaign uh, where hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent to put Clarence Thomas onto the court was uh, money spent by a group, little-known group at the time, named Citizens United. Right. Ye- years later, of course, uh, Clarence uh, Thomas and the court voted in favor of uh, Citizens United in the case that allowed all this uh, millions, billions of dark money into our election system. Uh, Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny Thomas, got a whole bunch of money thereafter from that decision. So it feels like the, the corruption of the court goes back a very long way. We've been talking about legitimacy of the court for a very long time. And people are concerned about it. But you know what? What's the downside? Seems like they can do just about anything they want. What, what's going to happen? People are going to stop paying attention to their to their rulings. It seems like, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, mean, I don't know what I mean, it means. People, people have started people have started to float that as an option, you know, and they always uh, uh, they've always said, well, you know, uh, what? What troops is the Supreme Court going to use to enforce its uh, orders? Yeah. Right? But, yeah. You know, I, I don't think I don't think that's really a healthy. I don't think that's really a mark of a healthy democracy. Uh, you know, a, a healthy democracy would have a healthy Supreme Court, hopefully. But yeah, it's it's a very it's a very reform proof operation. You know, only one only one Supreme Court justice has been impeached in in, in U.S. history, mm-hmm. um, and um, they don't really have any particular code of ethics that uh, even when it comes to recusing, recusing themselves on cases like this Clarence Thomas situation. They don't really have a hard and fast rule that they're just supposed to kind of use use their best judgment and, and, and we kinda of have to hope for the best, you know. And and, then, and and there's just not there's just not an easy solution. I mean, there's there's certainly a lot of pros to the idea of expanding the court. I just don't know how that would happen politically. Um, term limits for justices may be a little bit more possible and, and certainly certainly a very good idea. But again, you know, we see the politics of just getting Simple things done in Washington, and these are those are not simple things. I right? was I was happy to see over the weekend uh, some Democrats, some Senate Democrats, calling for uh, uh, Clarence Thomas to accuse himself from cases related to the 2020 election. But shouldn't they be calling for him uh, not only to recuse himself from that, but from any cases having anything to do with uh, uh, elections coming up? Because Trump is involved in all of those, which means so is Ginny Thomas. And in fact, shouldn't they be calling for him to resign, to be impeached for prosecutions against Ginny? Sort of you know, as uh, you heard uh, Rick Wilson in that uh, in that Twitter thread uh, lay out, why aren't Democrats able to do that? Can't they take that advice from Rick Wilson, or or is that not good advice as you see it? Well, I mean, it's it's, it's amazing. You see the hardball that Mitch McConnell played to get an extra justice on the court. Yeah, and uh, like Rick Wilson said, I mean, if if the situation revert were reversed. And if the Republicans had a majority in the House, they'd probably the impeachment hearings would probably be in their third day already. Right? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And, and I mean, look, if, if Democratic senators calling for for uh, Justice Thomas to recuse himself, he's not going to respond to that. There's just no way. I mean, would he, would he respond to an impeachment investigation? Uh, he'd respond more to that for sure. You mm-hmm. know, um, 
We don't know. But, should they uh, should they impeach you know, him I, even though he can never be? Obviously, you know, Republicans will never vote to remove him. Should he? Should the Republic? Uh, should the Democrats impeach him anyway, just to put on the case so people understand what we're dealing with here? I don't know. I wish I had a good answer for that. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I was one of the people who argued that you know the impeachment of Trump was important, even though you know we had every reason to believe that the Senate wouldn't convict him, and they, mm-hmm. they, they didn't, you know. Now, two years later, it certainly hasn't, didn't slow Trump down in any, you know, particular way. And, uh, he, I mean, remember, he ran after the first impeachment, and he still got, you know, uh, 74 million votes. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, that's, that gets back to the very start of this whole conversation and the funk, you know. It's like <laughs> when, you, when you think about these things, you get depressed, right? Well, yeah, uh, I know that a lot of people do, which is why I'm always trying to think. Uh, I know that I would. Yeah, if, and, that's and why I'm, I'm trying I'm to think always, of how I'm do you get out of it, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm always an optimist. I always try and think of, well, have you tried this? And mm-hmm. have, you, have you tried that? Um, you know, I mean, I mean, there were, would, would activism help? You know, I mean, we, we, we saw the resistance and we saw this flurry of, I mean, remember all the protests that took place in like 2017 and 2018, not just not just the women's march, there was the March for Science, and then there was other stuff about, uh, you know, gun safety and mm-hmm. climate change. And, and there was really an era of people being out in the streets, and, and people said, well, I'm worried that if Biden gets elected, everybody's going to go back to brunch. And <laughs> kind of what happened. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, no, I mean, there's no... The, the people are... You're right, Will. The, the, the people are on board. The people are good to go. It's the leaders, the leadership that seems to be... Uh, you know, out to lunch, out to brunch, as you might put yeah. it. I mean, yeah, right, right. That's right. That's a good point. And, and people aren't going to people aren't going to fight if they think the, the the leaders on their own side aren't aren't even responding. That that kind of uh, dampens people's desire to to, to make to go out them to put themselves out there. We're right? at the we're at the point where I'm you know ready to call uh, Rick Wilson, who who by the way I think <laughs> is abhorrent in many ways. Uh, <laughs> but I'm willing to say, uh, hey, let's put Rick Wilson in front uh, in charge of the Democratic Party at this point if he's you know can get those guys to fight like they should in the midst of something which is obviously so corrupt. Uh, Will Bunch, i got two uh, points I want to ask you about, and I'm very short on time, so let me try to fly uh, through these. I, as I mentioned, you're a bit of a Watergate connoisseur, and, and there was a, a bit of a Watergate echo, I think, reported by, as it turns out, Watergate reporter Bob Woodward and, and Robert Costa at Washington Post today. They find that the... Um, Internal White House records from the day of the attack on the U.S. Capitol. And I should note, Will Bunch, you were with us on the broadcast that day. <laughs> Notes yeah. from that day were turned over to the White House select uh, to the uh, I'm sorry, the House Select Committee. And they show a gap in Donald Trump's phone logs of seven hours and 37 minutes, including the period when the building was violently assaulted Basically all day, 457 minutes from about 11 a.m. that day to about 7 p.m. that day. There are no records of Donald Trump's phone conversations. Obviously, an echo, I should think, of the notorious 18 minute gap in the uh, Watergate tape recordings. But with like everything else, this seems to be worse than Watergate. What do, what do you make of the news uh, breaking Tuesday morning on this, Will? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, the, the minute I heard, I saw the story. I uh, did the obligatory tweet of the uh, of the picture of Rosemary Woods, Nixon's secretary, supposedly erasing the tape, so mm-hmm. we don't 
we don't know if that's really what happened, and mm-hmm. it probably isn't exactly. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is, we, we know enough about Donald Trump. Have there ever been seven hours where Donald Trump stayed off the telephone? Right. Um, right. That's, that's, that's all the guy does, right? It calls people all day. Mm-hmm. And um, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, but, I mean, we've already heard from um, Jim Jordan, right, that, yeah. that he says he spoke with Trump on the phone during that period, right? Multiple, so, multiple times. You know, Apparently there's a call from him that is logged early in the morning, but then Jim Jordan says, oh, I talked to him multiple times that day. And well, I think, no I think the morning call, I think the morning call was before the gap. I think I actually saw that. Right. On, 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 cause I saw the record. So, so yeah, they have them, right. So they have the morning call. He said that, right. Jordan says there's a morning call and an afternoon call and there's a record of the morning call, mm-hmm. to, which backs up his account, but there's no record of the afternoon call. Right. So, um, you know, this gets all the way back to this whole question about whether Trump should be prosecuted. I mean, here's, here's apparent obstruction of justice, right? You know, altering records or putting out misleading records to try and throw people off, off the trail of who he was talking to. And, we, you know, like you said, I mean, you know, we know Trump's habits, but we also know of at least one specific call that I can think of. There may have been others. I mean, wasn't, yeah. didn't he... Um, wasn't he like trying to call Tommy Tuberville, but he yep. talked to somebody else? Yeah, or... there was a number of uh, of calls yeah. that are known because uh, we know that they uh, other people talked about them. So we know that those calls happened during that time yeah, period. Exactly. But we have no right. record of so, it. Yeah, right. So uh, again, just a part of a part of what looks like a criminal conspiracy. Last thought here for you, Will Bunch, uh, for now. I noted a couple of tweets on yesterday's program when we actually discussed the Oscars' uh, Will Smith assault on Chris Rock that uh, seems uh, actually today to play into this. And maybe it's one of the reasons why I was actually so interested in what happened on Sunday night, and and we spoke about it quite a bit on the show. Two tweets. Kristen Leah, just a, a, a commenter on Twitter, said, Somebody physically assaulted a presenter on stage for a tasteless joke and is allowed to go back to a seat for the rest of the show because he might be winning an Oscar later, continues to speak to the lack of accountability and consequences in our country right now. And then Asha Rangappa, the um, uh, former uh, FBI agent, now editor at Just Security, she said, uh, so did like anyone walk out after that happened or are we getting an independent psychological case study on how Trump got normalized? In other words, mm-hmm. is this an yeah. accountability problem in America, uh, Will Bunch, that is even larger than we might realize? You know, we, we lament the lack of accountability for Trump, but, you know, is America uh, taking its accountability oh, yeah, cues think, from the top or vice versa at this point? I, 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 think, I think for a long time there's been this kind of simmering general sense that, you know, that, that there's two, you know, two systems or, you know, there's not one system of justice in this country, you know, that certain privileged people at the top, and it's not politicians are maybe the most visible in the worst case, but obviously it's not just politicians. It's, it's wealthy people, it's high-profile people, you know. I mean, uh, you know, we've seen some horrific cases in recent years of, you know, very wealthy people, you know, killing people with their cars, you know, drunk driving or whatever, and, and getting the slap on the wrist, you know. And then, uh, you know, here, here's New York City, you know, with, you know, six cops ganging up on somebody who jumps a subway turnstile because... They didn't pay the 250 fare because they probably couldn't afford it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a general set, you know. I think, I think there's a, there's a sense of anger about that, and I think it ties into how people feel about 
Trump or how they feel about Jimmy Thomas, that it, 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 it's all of one piece, you know, and I, I think that's just causing a broader just lack of trust in this country. Well, no wonder you're in a funk, Will Bunch. Uh, no one, <laughs> I think, can blame you at this point, but I hope you will continue to fight uh, to help get all of us out of out of it. I, I, I mean, I, I think if we keep fighting, I think there are ways. I think there's just still tons of pathways towards accountability uh, for for the Trumpers. Uh, I, I actually still think he he is going to. They are going to catch him. I know it seems impossible. But I wouldn't be able to go to sleep at night if I thought there was no chance. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's that's the January sixth committee. Once they get their their case out there, I mean, the public demand for for it might peak, you know, and and we can only hope. We can only hope. Will Bunch, uh, you can sign up for his newsletter at Inquirer dot com slash bunch. He, of course, is a longtime national columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer and Philadelphia Daily News. You can follow him on the Twitters at Will underscore Bunch. Always great speaking with you, my friend. I look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks for having me, Brad. It was great. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Okay, uh, let's see. Where are we now? Quick break. Yes. And Desi Doyen, you got a Green News report for us? I do. And are you going to help uh, get us out of the funk with uh, nothing but good news as ever in your Green News Report? Well, we're just going to have to see, aren't we? I guess we'll find out. And with that cliffhanger, uh, that's coming up next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate and thanks. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the rundown here for, for today's GNR, Des. And don't give it away. Uh, it, I won't give it away, but it, it, it doesn't... Uh, the outlook is not good. <laughs> I see Joe Manchin listed here as part of the Green News Report coming up. That can never be good news. These are things you need to know. Are they? Yes. All right. Things you need to know in our latest Green News Report. This investment we are doing right now is also an investment in the decarbonizing of our economy. A new plan to wean Europe off Russian fossil fuels. Exposé reveals how Senator Joe Manchin used his public office for personal financial gain. Plus... We really did not anticipate seeing ice shelf collapse here. Ice shelf the size of Rome collapses following Antarctic heat waves. All of those disasters and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. And you know what? Pete Buttigieg can take his electric vehicles and his bicycles, and he and his husband can stay out of our girls' bathrooms. Um, why would two gay men want to be in the girls' bathroom with electric bicycles? This is your Marjorie Taylor Green News Report. I'm gonna soak up the sun. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, progressive journalist and the co-screenwriter of one of last Sunday's Best Picture Oscar nominees, Don't Look Up, David Sirota, tweeted that night, quote, My thoughts on the Oscar slap incident are that it's 70 degrees in Antarctica and what's left of the livable ecosystem is being destroyed, and so we should focus on that. (laughs) Good point. He's got a single mind there. By the way, it was 70 degrees warmer than usual in Antarctica. It wasn't actually 70 degrees. (laughs) Good point as well. What do you got for us today? Well, first up, President Biden and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen on Friday announced a new joint task force to wean Europe off of its reliance on Russian fossil fuel imports that indirectly fund Russia's war on Ukraine and gives Russia leverage over Europe. The U.S. will work with other nations to boost rapidly expanding exports of liquefied natural gas, or LNG, to Europe. Europe to replace Russian gas, ramping it up through at least 2030. Now that will likely require new LNG infrastructure, which climate experts warn will lock in the use of natural gas for decades, Uh thereby undercutting Europe's ambitious climate goals. But under the deal, the new infrastructure would be built so that it can be converted later to transport green hydrogen. Good. The deal also accelerates plans to cut demand long term via faster deployment of electric heat pumps and energy efficiency upgrades. Very good. Plus, the EU will expedite planning and approval for new clean energy projects. Here's President Biden in his weekend speech in Warsaw, Poland. Over the long term, as a matter of economic security and national security for the survivability of the planet, we all need to move as quickly as possible to clean renewable energy. And we'll work together to help get that done so that the days of any nation being subject to the whims of the tyrant for its energy needs are over. They must end. They must end. Russia, meanwhile, is trying to unilaterally alter contracts to force Europe to pay for Russian gas in Russian rubles, seen as an attempt to prop up the collapsed currency by forcing countries to buy it. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. On Monday, G7 countries rejected Russia's demands, but a senior Russian Federation Council member warned that if Europe doesn't accept the change of terms, Russia might terminate their gas supplies altogether. Nice heat furnaces you have there. Would be a shame if something happened to them. The move will test European leaders' resolve to stick together through the rest of the winter with reduced gas supplies while maintaining those economic sanctions. We will hope for a sticky winter. In other news, an ice shelf about the size of New York City completely collapsed off of East Antarctica over the weekend, according to satellite data. It came just days after record high temperatures of more than 70 degrees Fahrenheit above normal hit some areas of the icy polar region. The Conger ice shelf collapse by itself will not raise global sea levels, but it worries scientists because it was in a region long thought to be stable, not susceptible to climate change, meaning that previous assumptions about East Antarctica's stability could be wrong. Wow, they had no idea that this ice shelf the size of Rome was going to collapse? Yep. Oy. Finally, the New York Times has published a remarkable expose expanding on previous reporting by The Intercept that shows how Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of the coal state of West Virginia has used his career in public office to enrich himself. And The Times has receipts through extensive documents and interviews showing that, quote, at every step of his political career, Manchin helped a West Virginia power plant 
that is the sole customer of his private coal business. <laughs> Manchin's coal company supplies a special low-grade coal to the power plant. Plus, Manchin receives a slice of that power plant's revenue from the electric bills paid by his constituents. Quote, at every level of Manchin's political career, from state lawmaker to U.S. senator, his official actions have benefited his financial interest in the plant for private gain, all while he blocks climate action at every step. You know what? Someone ought to make a law against that. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Ought to be a law against it. Good God, I'm about to lose my mind. Ought to be a law against it funky day on the broadcast. Indeed it is. I just want to point out that in that New York Times expose of Joe Manchin, they said that it does not appear that anything that Manchin has done all these years to enrich himself, Uh none of that appears to be illegal. And that's the point. That's the lack of accountability that uh, I think Will Bunch was so worried about that I think we're all so worried about. Yeah. Which is why the broadcast exists, I'm afraid to say. Uh, anyway. We're doing our best. We're, we're doing our best to at least bring the uh, the information out to people so that they can have the information they need to be informed voters. Because informed voters need to make informed choices about who gets into office and makes these kinds of things either legal or illegal or in that gray zone where Manchin obviously makes millions of dollars. Gray, very gray. Lots of coal dust in that zone. (laughs) Thank you very much, Desi Doy, and thanks to my guest today, Will Bunch from the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We hope we made it worth your while. We hope you are not in an accountability funk, or if you are, you are going to fight fight the hell to get out of it. That's what we're trying to help you do. That's what we're trying to do ourselves. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com all of which is made possible only by you. Yes, you, those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on the air and uh, help inform the electorate every day. I can't thank you enough. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ought to be along against it. Ought to be